We just did a study right before our summit last week, and it was a survey of thousands of people. We were asking them about if they wanted to work in a movie theater or not, and lots of different questions. And those who were interested in working in a movie theater, it was because they love going to the movies. They want the free movie tickets, and they want to be in a movie theater. The reason that they don't want to work in a movie theater is because they don't think that there's a growth opportunity. If you start in this business and you care about it, you have a trajectory, and we have not told that story. Hello and welcome to the Box Office Podcast. I'm Rebecca Polly, Deputy Editor at Box Office Pro, the only publication exclusively dedicated to the global cinema market. Uh, joined today by Jesse, Jesse Rifkin, our Box Office Pro analyst. How you doing, Jesse? Hey, I'm doing great and glad we could be taping this podcast on a Monday, the day before I fly down to Austin, Texas to compete in the National Pun Contest. Well, you know, I, I hope you represent box office well. If you don't, you're fired. Well, we have uh, we have a lot to talk about in terms of box office here, uh, both in terms of what went down this past weekend and potential holdovers and new releases for the upcoming weekend. Uh, before we get to our feature segment, that would be excerpts from a panel moderated by myself at last week's Geneva Convention uh, called New Approaches to Hiring, How to Expand Your Labor Pool. Um, basically kind of digging into the new realities of hiring and retention, especially with regards to uh, the younger generations coming into the workforce. Uh, we'll be hearing there from Jackie Brenneman, EVP and General Counsel of NATO and President of the Cinema Foundation, Stacey Bobble, Senior Vice President of Human Resources at Marcus Theaters, and author and keynote speaker at the Geneva Convention, Valerie Alexander. Hey, you know what's a really good way to improve retention in the industry? If if you don't tell people, hey, unless you do well at the pun contest, you're fired. Well, then you better do well at the pun contest, Jesse. That's all I have to say. Now, box office. Jesse, I'm going to kind of just go through the numbers here and, and then get your take on some things. Coming in at first place, we have Paramount continuing their hot streak with Smile opening to $22 million. Uh, 23% of their earnings came from premium large formats. It's hard to compare that to other mid-budget horror films uh, because we don't tend to really get PLF stats for most of those. But it seems, I mean, all almost a quarter, Jesse, that seems to me like a pretty big chunk for something that's not like a huge spectacle action superhero movie type thing. So PLF keeps drawing them back in. Paramount's original weekend projection on Saturday was 19 million, but as the performance ended up being better than they thought, by Sunday they had revised it up to 22 million. Did you hear about the marketing, the viral marketing stunt that Paramount did at Major League Baseball games? I heard about it from from my boyfriend who texted me a picture of his screen with what the hell is this? This person's been is just frozen like this for 30 minutes. So smart. I mean, for those who don't know, Jesse, what, what, was, what was the situation here? Because this was some marketing brilliance. At several nationally broadcast Major League Baseball games this past week, Paramount put people behind home plate where the camera is the whole time as it's on the batter with their facial expressions permanently frozen in this weird, creepy smile, just like the characters are in the film and in the, in the posters for the film as promotional for the movie Smile. And it got a lot of attention. They had Smile on the t-shirt, so you knew what it was. I mean, they 
And it's that has to be a relatively, that's a good bang for your buck marketing campaign. You need tickets to behind home plate. You need to hire actors who are good with holding creepy smiles for a good amount of time. I mean, kudos to the marketing team at, at Paramount on that one, because that's that's one of the, the, the best marketing ideas I've seen in the last uh, while, for sure. Think about it from a, from a cost perspective. To buy spots for a nationally broadcast baseball game would be who knows how many thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. To buy a seat behind home plate, that's only in the hundreds of dollars. And you get way more people talking about it that way. Not so good on the marketing, maybe. Not so good with the box office. We had fellow new release bros from Universal. It opened up. It was fourth place. Yes, fourth place behind Smile, a holdover of Don't Worry Darling, and a holdover of The Woman King. For comparison, uh, most box office projections had it opening in second place. Instead, it came in fourth. So, um, Jesse, I'm going to ask you, and we're going to kind of go over why we think uh, this this movie underperformed. Uh, We know why star Billy Eichner thinks it underperformed, because he uh, tweeted some arguments to the effect that homophobia was somewhat responsible for people not showing up to the film, that straight people didn't go to the film. He also made the assertion that a chain uh, asked to not show the trailer because of the same-sex content and and Universal basically put the kibosh on that ask. Though we don't know it's true, but we do know Billy Eichner here is implying that if you didn't see bros, you were a, quote, homophobic weirdo. And that even, I quote, even with glowing reviews, great Rotten Tomatoes scores, an A cinema score, etc., straight people, especially in certain parts of the country, just didn't show up for bros. And that's disappointing. But it is what it is. So, Jesse, neither of us really think this holds a ton of water uh, as an argument. What's your thoughts here? Well, we have some data that seems to disprove this. If you're talking about a major mainstream comedy starring gay characters, we can go back to Bruno, which had not one but two weekends, both its opening weekend and its sophomore weekend, which earned more than the 4.8 million that Bros opened with. Uh, Also, Brokeback Mountain had not one, not two, not three, not four, but five weekends during its run which earned more than the 4.8 million that Bros just did in its opening weekend. I'm just looking at this uh, this film. Neither of the two leads are, are big stars. And when's the last time we had a rom-com that did like really well when the person wasn't already an A-list star? I mean, was it Crazy Rich Agents? Because that had a ton of people in it. I mean, that... That was an ensemble, so. Some people think Crazy Rich Asians isn't even a romantic comedy because the two lead characters are together at the start of the movie. It's more like a meet the parents kind of style film about meeting your boyfriend's family more than the two main characters actually falling in love. Rom-com adjacent, but either way, uh, the star power did not appear to be here. Looking at the demographic breakdown too uh, for Bro's opening weekend, uh, it was 61% Caucasian audiences, 19% Hispanic, 6% African-American, and 7% Asian. Compare that to Smile, admittedly a vastly different film in, in pretty much every way. But uh, it's 40% Caucasian, 32% Hispanic, 16% Black. Like, clearly, Smile was able uh, to draw in multicultural audiences in a way that Bros just was not. The audience of Bros on the opening weekend, more than half of them were white, and just about half of them uh, were 35 and older. So, didn't connect, uh, didn't connect with the youngs. <laughs> 
Yeah, and in Smile, only 19% of its audience was 35 and older. We have we have Bros, which opened uh, poorly, Smile, which opened well. What do you think we're looking at in terms of second week holdovers for most of those? Because with Smile, I mean, we have Barbarian as kind of a recent comp in terms of first-time director, mid-level horror film started well. What do you think we're going to be looking at? Well, it's now going to be October, <laughs> which is, you might know, is the month that people like to see horror films for obvious reasons. So I think the hold is going to be pretty good. Barbarian, which came out, I believe, last month, had a second weekend decline of only 38% down, which is pretty good. And you might see Smile do about that level, perhaps even a little less with Halloween right around the corner. Next weekend, we actually have not one, not two, but three wide releases. First, we have uh, Amsterdam from David O. Russell out from 20th Century Studios, who actually moved it forward around a month so that we'll be seeing it this weekend. You know, it's a it's a really all-star cast. We have Christian Bale, Margot Robbie, John David Washington. Obviously, Russell has, you know, historically been uh, award season uh, mainstay. So, Hopefully this film falls in that range as well. Um, we also have from Focus Features Tar, um, which it's it seems very kind of you know niche, not mainstream. It's Kate Blanchett being very intense as a classical music uh, conductor, as far as I can tell, and I'm I'm there for Kate Blanchett being intense at things. So, but the most interesting one here we have Lyle Lyle Crocodile from Sony. Jesse, this is the first wide-release kids movie since July. Yeah, and it's going to be the only wide-release uh, kids movie until Disney's Strange World comes out on Thanksgiving weekend in late November. So it basically has the corridor to itself. I don't think a lot of kids will be going to see horror films like Smile or, or Halloween Ends. So this is going to be basically cornering the market for... Geez, almost two months. What do you think in terms of expectations for that opening weekend? I mean, it's a it's a unique circumstance in a way to have that much time just to yourself and that much pent up demand. Opening weekend, probably somewhere around the 20 million range, give or take. The hold will depend on, you know, how much people like the movie. But opening, probably somewhere around 20 million. Amsterdam, which comes out the same weekend, maybe a little bit less than that. We're looking at somewhere around the 10 to 15 million range opening there. But potentially, you know, potentially some good legs, uh, legs for those as we, as they struggle to compete against horror films. I don't know. I love horror films all year round. So I'm just excited. This is my favorite time of year. <laughs> Thank you, Jesse, as always, for uh, providing the box office insights and uh, from, uh, from myself and everyone at the box office team. And I'm, I'm going to say also from, from our listeners and from the, the entire cinema industry, I'm going to speak for them. Good luck at your pound competition. Wow, the entire cinema industry is rooting for me? Yeah. That's, that's incredible. You know, I, I don't know if I'm going to win, though. I mean, I once submitted some puns to a pun contest, and, you know, hoping that one of them would win, but, uh, but no pun intended. Thank you, Jesse. And uh, with those puns out of our system, let's go to our feature segment recorded live at last week's Geneva Convention. Again, this is a panel on uh, how the realities of hiring and retention have really uh, have really changed over these past few years. And we were able to dig into some best practices on moving forward. Our speakers, again, we have Jackie Burnaman from NATO and the Cinema Foundation, keynote speaker and author Valerie Alexander. And starting the conversation, Stacey Babel, uh, senior VP of HR and Marcus Theaters, who starts off our feature segment uh, discussing whether she believes recent staffing difficulties will be going away anytime soon. 
I would say it's not going to go away. So until we can, from an HR perspective, get our hiring processes tighter uh, or quicker and embrace some technologies that other industries have, such as text to apply, I don't know that that we're going to completely dissolve it. And quite honestly, even with those technologies, you're not going to completely dissolve it, but we, they do make things better. They make it quicker, right? Like you can get people faster. Uh, Valerie, I wanted to ask you, one of the most interesting parts for me is that employers, how often employers just really have no idea what it is that their employees want. So uh, could you explain a bit about, could you go and uh, speak a little bit about that? Or? Sure, because here's the most interesting thing. Your employees want to tell you what they want. They want to love their jobs. They really do. And we have to train ourselves to listen to what people tell us. And actually, going directly to your point about this generation of employees, it started with millennials. But by the way, millennials now are 26 to 42. They're not kids. And Gen Z is the 15 to 25-year-olds that are coming into the workforce now. They were raised differently than a lot of us were. I, I don't know, how many people can finish this sentence from your parents? It's my way. <laughs> yeah, guess what? My niece and nephew were not raised with that phrase at all. They were listened to in their household. And that generation fully comes into your workplace expecting to be listened to. And that's a lot of what they're rebelling against. That's a lot of what they're leaving. And also, you know, when I was going up, if you got out of the house and then moved back into the house afterwards, you were a big loser. No one in under the age of 40 feels that that's a problem. So they will walk from a job they're not enjoying. And if that means they move back in with mom and dad, you know, brother, mom's thrilled. And so these are the things we have to contemplate. What what do our, what do people want out of their workplaces? Yeah, well, and the Marcus people out there already know this, um, but that gets that kind of one of the things that we've been focused on this year is really personalizing employment and what does that mean to be more personalized in the workplace and the fact that people want to be valued for themselves and for being an individual and it's not necessarily I'm serving the company, it's how is the company serving me. And Jackie, I mean, I know you have like a macro view of the entire industry and I know you have very like personal passion in terms of treating people well, which ultimately is kind of what it comes down to. I mean, what are the trends that you're seeing kind of in the hiring retention? Like what's the overall picture been since COVID? When we're talking about, you know, employees wanting to feel heard, something really interesting that I've seen, um, and one of our members in Australia has implemented this, um, to find very fascinating is this kind of a Facebook forum where employees can actually make suggestions, things get brought to them. And and I wonder, you know, we had, I don't know how many of you here were taken by surprise with the whole gentle minions thing. Like it just totally shocked you. You were not really prepared for the, the chaos. Yeah. Did you, do you know what I'm talking about? So they all these, yeah, all this, this big, big TikTok trend. And I, I remember I was on a, a thread with some security officers from big chains and they were, one of them said, I, you know, I wish there was a way we could have known about this. Um, and that they have, so, they have social media teams, but their social media teams, the job is to work on making sure guests are happy. And what I think, and I wonder, is so many of the employees probably knew about this trend. And they probably had ideas. They probably thought, oh, we could do something really cool to promote our business. But they didn't know 
first of all, they probably assumed that their bosses already knew. So they didn't even know if their, if their, their ideas were valuable. And then they didn't have a forum to do that and, and know that that would turn into something. And that's, that was, those are these kind of like little opportunities that, you know, I, I really think we have a chance to fix that. We just did a study right before our summit last week, and it was a survey of, you know, thousands of people. We were asking them about if they wanted to work in a movie theater or not, and different, just lots of different questions. And those who were interested in working in a movie theater, it was because they love going to the movies. There is something, they want the free movie tickets, and they want to be in a movie theater. And the reason that they don't want to work in a movie theater is because they don't think that there's a growth opportunity. And so we have, again, so many people in here, so many executives in this industry started off popping popcorn. There's actually an incredible amount of growth in this. If you start in this business and you care about it, you have a trajectory. And we have not told that story. And so, again, just creating a forum where, where people can be heard and know that there's a path up. If you have good ideas, there's a place for you in this business, I think, is something really exciting. And obviously, at NATO, I'm not working on you know mass hiring, but instead, it's about industry representation. So certainly within NATO, which is a small team, uh, something that I've worked really hard on is bringing more objectivity into both the hiring process and in the evaluation process, really focusing on objective metrics, because especially as a woman, you know, your personality ends up being the primary part of your reviews otherwise. Um, and men, that's just not what happens. You know, you have to do, adding in that objectivity really, really helps with unconscious bias, which we all suffer from. When I'm thinking about the industry, it's also important, you know, we have, it's, it's very difficult to diversify. It's, it's not, you know, it's not, an, it's not just the, oh, let's just grab random ladies or random people that, that aren't just, you know, white men and put them, put them in the rooms and tell, and tell everyone that they have this title now. Um, because people really feel like, especially in this business, that they earned their volunteer leadership. They earned whatever it is that they've, they've done. They've spent 20, 30 years building a reputation and, and building that. And it feels like a, a threat if someone is just kind of being thrown in there. And it devalues all of that. And so, so what we've been trying to do at NATO through like very conscious D&I, DE&I work is to really elevate people that already are leaders in the business. That just, you, you know, they weren't at NATO events before because they didn't think it was for them. They didn't really think that there was a place for them. And really giving them opportunities to shine and show that they are, you know, they've got 30 years of experience and all of that, and then become leaders elected by their peers for other things. Um, but it's we have to really push and we have to make some people uncomfortable. Um, but it's it, as you know, as a trade body that represents not just exhibitors in the United States but across the globe, it's also our responsibility to put in that effort and to ruffle some feathers. Um, because it's it's our we cannot do a good job if we only have a few perspectives. The more perspectives we have, the better. A formal informal mentorship program is so key. If you look at a lot of the other diversity, equity, and inclusion um, research out there, that is the difference between who gets to an executive level and who doesn't. Right? It's if somebody's in that higher level position, it's that proclivity for sameness. You look like me. You have the same type of skills I had at that age. Come here. Let me show you. Let me take you to this NATO event, right? They're being, being brought in. So naturally, if I don't see myself above, then I'm not 
seeking out someone who's going to pull me along the way. So I think opportunities like that are crucial, especially for diversity. And th there's a much bigger issue around mentorship. There, there's, there's mentorship and sponsorship. Right. Those yep. are two different things that are really, really important. Sponsorship means you speak for someone when they're not in the room. You, if someone you think has potential, you keep their name on your tongue and you speak it um, so that they're being considered for the good assignments or they're being stopped from getting that low-level scut work that only gets assigned to the people who look like them. But with mentorship, and this is really important and it happens without anybody realizing it's happening, the nature of our mentorship is different based on our identities. So what happens is women are most often mentored on how to behave with more confidence. The, a senior person mentors a woman on how to have more confidence, which is important. In the workplace, confidence and competence are perceived as the same thing. But seriously, no, people who are highly competent, which almost all women, once they've reached the level, are highly competent. But if they behave with no confidence, they're perceived as incompetent. And then the people who are highly confident Oh, they can go years before anybody figures out the truth. Yeah. <laughs> but the women are mentored in having more confidence. Often, people of color, people from a non-majority community, will be mentored in how to fit into the corporate culture. And if your corporate culture needs people to fit into it, the culture is the problem, not the people who aren't fitting in. But while that mentorship is happening, while the women are being mentored on their confidence and their soft skills and other people are mentored on how to look like everyone, act like everyone else, the white men are being mentored on the business skills and the financial strategy they need to get ahead in their careers. So when it comes time to advance somebody, senior leadership looks who has the skills that we need. And, and the person who provides the most valuable skills to the company is the one who gets ahead. So if you are mentoring somebody, make sure they are being mentored on the strategy and the business and the finance and the, the business acumen that they need to advance in their careers, not only to create a more equitable workplace, but also to create more value for your company. Then you have more people with that skill. I want to add to that because I think I've heard a lot of men, um, especially recently, express fear about mentoring women. And I beg of every man in this room to not be afraid to mentor women, right? Like it is like we need you, especially if, if you are the number one in, in the vertical that you think there's a, a strong female candidate, you have to be the mentor and the sponsor. You do. You have to be able to say that that woman is is just as qualified, that she's got these talents, that she's the right next, you know, next leader. You have to be able to do that. And the only way you can do that is if you actually invest in her career. You can't just sit on the sides. You know, I you know, there are lots of times where as a woman I'm put on a, a panel that's just for just about being a woman or for women and then men don't go to those. Um, this is obviously not that. This just happens to be all women on a on a panel about HR. But when it's those types of panels, men feel like that's not for them. This is gossip in the room. Um, and that doesn't help any of us. It, it, it's not, I don't really understand the, the purpose of what I'm going to be adding to the room. And that's the wrong audience. So I really do think it's so critical to be in those rooms to help lift up people that you think are talented and don't be afraid of doing so. 
Well, and what I'll say this, what we try to do from our HR department is give our operators very tactical tools, right? Because they're operators and that's that's the way their brains work, right? So in terms of mentorship, we are in the process, we actually have outlined a formal mentorship program at the salary level for our general managers and are assigning specifically new managers to our certified mentors. And that requires them to go through the competencies, which are business-based. They're not necessarily just, oh, you're a woman, you need this, or you're a man, you need this, or you're a this. The other thing that this accomplishes as we expand this program out, which the intention is for our talent development team to expand it down to the person standing behind the concessions counter, is recruitment and retention especially from a diversity standpoint. We have a great deal amount of diversity at the hourly level, but the problem becomes that are, there's a wall that gets hit, right? And, and there's a number of reasons, right? There's, there's cultural reasons from their perspective uh, in terms of confidence or wanting to raise their hand or it's not culturally appropriate for them to push themselves forward and say, hey, this is what I'm good at. They wait to be called upon. But, but there's other reasons in terms of how, how we have our structures set up at the company as well and how we identify people. So putting that formal mentorship in place is, is going to be so important for us to advance that diversity in our company. And it's also going to advance retention um, because now these are people who truly can see, see those career pathways and they see it happening um, through mentorship and, and through the, the visualization of the pathway itself. But it'll also get you much greater outcomes as a company. That's the value of diversity is not having people in the room with different body parts or different skin color right. or different religion. The value is different perspectives. Yeah. You, you, like, you get more value when you hear from more people. And that's why we also have to work really hard to make sure we are hearing from the people. Having a diverse workforce, having different people in the room does nothing if their voices aren't being heard. So we have to amplify voices as well. And ask for and ask for the feedback, right? And ask for it too. Is it's what I say, get comfortably comfortable being uncomfortable with constructive conflict. As a manager, oftentimes, even for me, you're pushing along and you just want the work to get done. You don't want somebody to question you. You don't want somebody to bring a different opinion to the table. But that's truly where the innovation happens. You know, you can't have a team of defensive ends. You have to be able to fill the gaps. That was not meant to be a football joke for those of you out there. Never. Luckily, I would never run into the gaps. <laughs> um, anyway, so you, you can't have a team of just one position, and rightfully so, because everybody has a different perspective, and it leads to a successful winning outcome in the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's a lot of, in, in any industry, but I think, Jackie disagreed with me if I'm, if I'm wrong here, but a, a lot of, like, it's, we have a lot of family-owned companies, a lot of people who have been doing this since they were, like you said, popping popcorn. There's a lot of like, oh, this is the way it's always been done, so let's just keep doing it. How do you change that if you recognize it in yourself or how do you get other people? Yeah, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about this because um, I feel one of, the, one of my favorite things about this industry and one of the things I've been luckiest to benefit from is the rich storytelling. There is so much history in this business and so many people whose names come up in conversations, people who are long dead that I feel I know. Um, and those stories matter. They, you've all heard them for generations too. 
And so if you don't respect that history, if you don't respect those stories, then what you're going to be doing, if you're, if you're making change for change's sake, and you don't understand the history, you don't understand when in 1975 when this was attempted before and what happened, um, and you just bulldoze in, um, you first of all are probably going to repeat history, um, but also are going to be offending people, and that's not the way you get change done, right? So I think movie theater owners and people in this industry have long shown that they are innovative, right? I mean, movie theaters now don't look anything like movie theaters from my childhood, right? Um, there's huge innovation across the globe in movie theaters. So it's, there's not a fear of innovation, but it's about understanding the right language. And it's about remembering that the people that work here know their communities better than anyone. And so it's, it's really about taking time to listen and to, if you have, a, if you have an idea for something that you want done on a big scale, maybe start, be really comfortable starting smaller. Show, you know, the recliners started in just some territories and now everyone's got recliners, you know, because there was a proven ROI. It made sense to invest in it because you're losing seats. You know, you lose bodies. It doesn't add up on paper and you're not ridiculous to have thought that that wasn't going to work. Um, so I really, I do think, you know, this whole business has been done a certain way for a hundred years. You know, the way studios and exhibitors deal with each other is based on the fact that studios used to own exhibitors. And there's just, we had consent decrees for almost a hundred years that governed how we behaved. And so to not, to step into this business and act like that none of that matters is arrogant um, and disrespectful, but to also come in and think that just because this industry is a legacy industry that it's incapable of change is also missing the forest for the trees. In terms of career development, like obviously the companies like like Marcus that are that are huge companies, and there is that pathway to if I want to make this a career, you know, there's opportunity for that to happen. For a lot of other cinemas or small chains, like. That's not the case. You work for you know an independent cinema and you really love it, but like you're never going to own that cinema. If it is just like a summer job, or if it is a job that they're like interested in, they want to have for a few years. How do you motivate people in that circumstance where it's not about like oh one day you could be the CEO of this chain? Well, first it starts by knowing what they want, right, and having that conversation, that personal conversation about it. And second, I'm a big fan of a term that's called growth in place, right? We are always learning and growing, and when you're learning and growing, your mind is activated. Um, if my ultimate goal, I could be a high schooler, my ultimate goal is to go to school for HR, that is not what happened, this is accidental, but if that is my ultimate goal and my boss knows that, they might start pulling me in and say, hey, why don't you help me out with employee scheduling? And you can start to see that. So even as a small um, group, you can do those little things in terms of job shadowing. Um, there's also some great free tools out there. If you go to mindtools.com, Google regarding work, they have a lot of great um, free opportunities for education. So if you have somebody who's interested in something, you can still provide them educational opportunities. But as long as they're learning and growing, that is going to keep them around. It's going to keep them engaged. Obviously, one day they are going to go off to school, but what a great recruitment tool because now they'll be like, I had this awesome experience. They helped me learn and grow. They got me ready for my next step. I mean, that's the best recruitment tool, right? It's word of mouth. 100%. Every industry I've worked in my entire career is always word of mouth.
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Box Office Podcast. Thanks as well to Jesse Rifkin, Jackie Brenneman, Stacey Bobble, Valerie Alexander, and the entire team at the Geneva Convention. The Box Office Podcast is co-produced by the Box Office Company and Record Edit Podcast. Please tune in next Thursday for our next episode. Rate and subscribe if you like what you hear. Thank you. Have a good one. <laughs>